Hello, welcome to Saga Thing. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And we are at the conference, the 17th Saga Conference, being That's held right. in Reykjavik and Reykholt in Iceland. Yeah, and we are currently in Reykholt. That's right. The uh, home of the infamous Snorri Sturluson. The infamous. Yes, yeah, so we've already uh, visited the pool that you are absolutely not allowed to get into because it is a replica of Snorri's own pool. Yeah, but it's uh, it's so inviting. It's sitting there it steaming. Is. It's and steaming on what is otherwise a very chilly and rainy day yeah. here in Reykjavik uh, in August. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, we had to resist the urge to go for a dip. Instead, we've uh, repaired to the hotel lobby where we're currently enjoying a couple of pints of ghoul. Um, and we thought we'd uh, talk for a few minutes and just uh, let people know what we're up to here at the conference. Yeah, we couldn't come all the way here to Iceland together and not uh, record a little bit of something. That's absolutely right. Uh, so this is actually the second day of the conference. Yesterday was in Reykjavik. Today we're in Reykholt. Um, and we've already heard some great stuff. Uh, That's we, right. We began... Uh, yesterday, Carol Clover was the plenary speaker here yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, and it was an amazing way to start the conference, I thought. Uh, she began with the uh, topic of proving facts in Njal Saga. Mm-hmm. What was fun about it was that it was really kind of a discussion that went primarily uh, toward thinking about the sagas as um, a text to be investigated, not necessarily using sort of complex theoretical constructions, but just a careful, close reading that reveals things. Mm-hmm. Right? She was thinking about it maybe from a legal perspective. Uh, but looking at how evidence is used to prove facts within the saga. Yeah. Uh, and it was just a really and nice... How that, and how that helps the construction of the narration, right? Yes, absolutely. That, uh, from the beginning of an episode to the end of the episode, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a, a slow revealing of evidence, which yes. leads to facts right. that you can make decisions uh, based on. And that, that, that procedural aspect of the saga, which mm-hmm. of course fits for a saga that is about one of the great lawyers in Icelandic history, right. uh, means that the plot is also revealed... Uh, rather than really narrated, right? Yeah. The evidence sort of builds over the course of the narrative toward the inevitable conclusion of the saga. Kind of makes me wish we were now starting our discussion of Njal's saga. Oh, you want to go back and start uh, over? Yeah, let's do that. Do um, it over? We've got a year to kill. Why don't we? <laughs> I think we could do a much better job uh, if we try to get Well, <laughs> we can certainly uh, avoid a lot of the pitfalls. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll actually be making an announcement about the next of our uh, big saga plans uh, later on. But mm-hmm. uh, before we get to that, I uh, just want to make the point. In case anybody's wondering how seriously Icelanders take the sagas, uh, this conference, the 17th Saga Conference, which, by the way, in uh, Icelandic, is the saga thing. Well, uh, which is saga like, thing. Well, yeah. yes. Uh, but uh, our opening remarks were delivered by a number of uh, uh, distinguished guests, including the Minister for Education, Science, and Culture of Iceland, Lilja Alfredsdottir, uh, and then also the President of Iceland, uh, Gunnar Johansson. Yes, the President, the president of Iceland yeah. uh, came to open our conference for us. That was pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. Um, Gunnar is actually, he is a uh, history professor himself. Uh, before he went into politics, yeah, I uh, loved his uh, opening remark. Cause oh, he was wonderful! <laughs> he was delivering the uh, the paper in both Icelandic and English, mm-hmm. and he said uh, that back when he was a an academic and he gave papers, he would be overjoyed to hear if uh, the audience took in at least half of what he said. Right. So he would feel very comfortable today. Right. So rather than deliver his remarks in Icelandic and English, he delivered half his remarks in Icelandic and half his remarks in English. That's right. <laughs> Which was a great deal of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know we've only uh, we're only partway into the conference at this point. It's a six day conference. It's, a, it's an extensive yeah. conference. Um, but uh, what are we uh, what are we thinking so far? What's jumped out at you? I mean, yesterday was the first day, and I, I had a 
I think every single panel I went to had great papers. So yeah. it was like a, yeah. kind of a, an academic's dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're a little bit kids and candy store here. You know? Yeah, so actually. The, the entire conference is things we love. Yeah, well, just looking through the program, I was telling my wife that uh, it, it's exciting to like flip through and see every day, every panel, yep. there's something I kind of yep. want to <laughs> see, which is not always the case at academic conferences. Yeah, often we're, we're looking at several dozen sessions going at us at the same time and trying to find one that speaks to our interests. Yeah. And this time there's usually six or seven sessions going at a time and they're all of great interest to us. That's right. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the highlights yesterday uh, had to be seeing Theodore M. Anderson and Lars Lonerth go <laughs> toe to toe. I mean, these yes. are these are guys whose books and articles that we've been reading for a very, very long yes. time. Same with Carol Clover, seeing her. Absolutely. Yeah, seeing uh, Theodore M. Anderson talk about old Icelandic literature as a national literature. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then Lars, Lars Lonerth beginning his talk with the title, um, Old Icelandic Literature is Not... <laughs> Yeah. The national epic literature. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really fascinating right. one. Um, one of the, I mean, one of the things that I think came up in the in the Q and A was that it comes down to a semantic argument, yes. right? How, yes, do you, how do you want to define national right. literature? Um, there's a lot of controversy over when the idea of a nation mm-hmm. uh, begins, and it's right. usually much later than the Middle Ages. Although that's again a semantic argument based on a very modern exactly. construction of what nationhood consists exactly. of. Exactly. So I think what it came down to was Theodore M. Anderson was was arguing for more of a of a national identity that right. expresses itself right. through the literature, and Lars Lundroth was was working with the kind of modern definition of right. of what is national mm-hmm. and what would national literature be. And if you go with that definition, there there's an absence of that, as right. he says, not only in Iceland but in all Germanic literature in the Middle Ages. Yes. Well, and I think it's uh, it speaks to the sort of the the, the accomplished uh, scholarship, but also the, um, the 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 nonchalance that is achieved by a lifetime at the top of a profession. That both of them were sort of were very comfortable with the idea that they were <laughs> arguing mm-hmm. on opposite sides of this. Yeah. The the listeners, we in the crowd, were I think far more head up about the whole thing mm-hmm. than they were. And in the end, um, I think Lars's last comment was. Ultimately, it's a semantic discussion. <laughs> and he just kind of you know, shrugged and yeah. wandered off to find some coffee. Yeah, so which we're, is great. We're both right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, what else did you Did you see anything else you wanted to talk uh, about? Oh, I think, I mean, the, the very first panel I attended yesterday was mm-hmm. just wonderful. It was on a, a, the question of anxiety and ambivalence yes. in the sagas. Uh, so, uh, David Ashurst uh, from Durham uh, spoke about what he called the oh shit moment. Yeah. In in sagas, uh, the, <laughs> the moment when you're confronted with behavior that you aren't supposed to um, uh, admire necessarily or yeah. approve of, but that you're compelled to respect. Yeah, that 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 difficulty of a figure who you recognize as being uh, an accomplished figure, being an active figure who does great things, mm-hmm. but isn't necessarily a person whose behavior you approve of. Yeah, and sort of the the tension that, that creates for a reader. Yeah, uh, the first thing yeah. that I thought of when when he was talking was when when uh, we get around to doing Ale Saga eventually mm-hmm. in a couple three or four years from now maybe. Right. Um, <laughs> well, we'll see what happens at the end of this episode. Um, uh, it would be nice to to talk to him about that because I think him him right. talking about uh, uh, attitudinal ambivalence would mm-hmm. would help our listeners understand <laughs> a little bit uh, why right. they feel the way they do about uh, Ale Scott right. Lagrimson. Oh, and it is it's you know uh, if anybody ever wonders whether it's possible to have more fun than being a saga scholar. 
this first paper at the conference contained discussions of both projectile vomiting and the oh shit moment. So mm-hmm. no, it is not actually possible to have more fun than being a saga scholar. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of fun. And we also heard Eduardo Ramos talking about anxiety and Gisla saga and how and the way in which uh, we saw Gisli. We talked about this a little bit. When we talked yeah. about the saga, the way that Gisli uh, really kind of develops a sense of almost fatalism about. Uh, the inevitability of the hard decisions he has to make and how he goes from a kind of anxiety-ridden existence surrounding his relationship with his family uh, to sliding toward an acceptance of his ultimate fate, Mm -hmm. even though he recognizes that it's his own decisions that have brought about that fate. Yeah. Uh, it's a very interesting idea. It's a very interesting way of thinking about the paper, or the, uh, the, the saga. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. And, um, I mean, today we've been hearing great papers on outlaws. Um, we just... Uh, Broke away from the conference for a few minutes to have a beer and to record this, mm-hmm. um, but it's been another great day here. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Um, yesterday I saw uh, in the afternoon saw a really great one by Ongrim uh, Ravidalin from Hoskoda uh, Island. Uh, he talked about racism in the Islandic saga. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I saw that uh, title, I knew he was going to be talking about the Blaumother. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I rushed into that one uh, with head held high, <laughs> thinking, I've just been thinking about this. Right. Um, no, what was interesting about it, I mean, he uh, he, he kind of went over the history of, mm-hmm. of the Blaumother in, in some, some good mm-hmm. detail, gave uh, good examples of the various kind of characterizations of them, mm-hmm. and was just introducing the notion that uh, while the kind of constructions of race, uh, as we understand them, come after the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. um, you can see evidence of this kind of uh, uh, othering right. of different people. Right. Um, I'm not going to be able to speak about it well, so I invited him to uh, <laughs> uh, maybe get an uh, interview in with us sometime soon. Lovely. Um, so we'll have him kind of share his expertise on the Blaumother right. and trolls and all those kinds of things. Right. We'd originally come to the conference thinking that we'd try to get a couple of interviews in, and it turns out we're so busy uh, scheduling interviews with people yeah. uh, that they're all going to have to take place after the conference. We've, mm-hmm. we've got a yeah, list now of that's people exactly we want right. to speak yeah. to. Um, the other one in that panel that was kind of cool, I went uh, to this because I had two papers that I was interested mm-hmm. in, and um, William Norman from uh, Cambridge oh, yeah. was going to be speaking about, uh, I think the paper was about Eric the Red Saga, yeah. and uh, I was expecting him based on the, the panel focus. I, I thought he might be talking about the, the Skrylings and mm-hmm. the meaning of and the othering of the, right. of the Skrylings, right. um, but he ended up talking about the, uh, the parallels between the Vinland sagas, specifically Eric the Red and Caesar's um, Bellum Gallicum. Yeah, you, you told me about this after the the panel, and that sounds so yeah, cool. It was a it was a source study paper. I think a couple of us said afterwards that was the best source study paper we'd seen in, in a while. <laughs> um, but basically, he he found verbal parallels and and kind of um, um, structural parallels mm-hmm. between. Caesar's Gallic Wars and uh, Eric the Red Saga. Which is so great because now I want to go back. I haven't read the Gallic Wars since grad school. Yeah, me too. And I really, now I want to dig it out and, and go through it again. Uh, but what I love about, you know, a paper like that is that it does, it sort of makes you go back and look at texts with a new mm-hmm. eye. Yeah. And so it's, uh, there's so much good work being done in that way. That's right, yeah. Uh, it was a great surprise. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. One, so uh, It also speaks to, and we've talked about this once or twice in the podcast, but the degree to which the writers of Icelandic literature uh, were really very international in terms mm-hmm. of what they were consuming, in terms of what they were aware of. Yeah, it's uh, it's very easy to start thinking of uh, medieval Iceland as being a very isolated place, and it's very much not the case. I mean, you can find that out just in the sagas, but in terms of their uh, interchanges of culture with mm-hmm. other people in Europe and outside of Europe, um, it really it's hard to overestimate just how we would now use the word cosmopolitan. Uh, the educated class was in Iceland. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, one of the things that I, you know, I, I always like coming to a conference like this and, and learning about is all the variety of other 
sagas and texts yeah. that were circulating at, at, at the time. Right. Uh, we're talking about late 13th all the way through the 16th century here. Right. Um, but so many texts being translated from uh-huh. Latin or uh, their continental languages mm-hmm. um, and then being circulated throughout uh, you know, Norway and, and Iceland. Yeah. Um, some really fascinating stuff that I you know, don't always think about. Well, you know, and you and I tend to focus on these things, and that's, uh, that's great. And yeah. you know, the reason that this podcast uh, exists is because we want to dig through those in detail. But if anybody's ever wondered what we're going to be doing once we someday finish the sagas of the Icelanders, um, there are just troves of sagas to look through. Yeah. Uh, there are entire genres that we've never mentioned on the show beyond the initial discussion years ago. Uh, that we've got we've got many, many, many years ahead of us to get yes, through. Yes, we do. Assuming <laughs> uh, we can live long enough. Right, right. Uh, if the if the good Lord is willing and the creeks don't rise. <laughs> um, but uh, even before the you you actually now you preempted me here. I I, I did. only got here in time for the conference. I'm still a little bit jet lagged. Mm. Um, well, I'm also a little bit hungover. We'll talk about that because <laughs> uh, it is a conference. Uh, but uh, you got here early last week, and you spent most of last week. Uh, gallivanting about Iceland. I did. Now, to um, be fair, the first person I invited was you. True. To come gallivanting true. with me. And I would have loved to gallivant, but mm-hmm. uh, I was actually teaching until last week. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, also had uh, some some kid time to spend. That's right. Uh, but uh, yeah. So I ended up coming uh, with my uh, brother-in-law Dan, mm-hmm. uh, the husband. No, the what is he? My. You really should know his relationship before you share a tent with him for a week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who is this stranger? Who are you, fella? No. He's the uh, brother of my wife. Right. Yeah. Um, we need, English really needs a word to distinguish those we, things. Well, we do. You know? Uh, I know we have them for cousins. Right? There's ortho cousin to describe a person. Yeah, everyone uses that in America. Right. Uh, to describe uh, people. If your uh, cousin is the son or daughter of your father's brother uh, or your mother's sister, if that's is everyone still following? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and a cross cousin is if your father's sister has a child. Yeah, uh, well. but yeah, we don't have something to differentiate which kind of brother-in-law. You're no, discussing. no, no. But um, it was. I think I've said before on the podcast that uh, I've never been to Iceland before, so I was very excited. And right. I, I wasn't going to miss the opportunity uh, mm-hmm. with the conference to to come in and see a little bit. Right. Uh, and so you wandered around for a bit and got to several actual. Uh, saga sites. I did. Uh, places that are sort of tied to specific sagas. I think almost everywhere you go. I think that's probably true. Is the case. Well, you know, certainly every place it's named. <laughs> you know, I've been, I, uh, today I've been attending a couple of landscape uh, right. uh, uh, panels, right. and all of them are about the importance of, you know, <laughs> keeping in mind the place mm-hmm. that this is set and understanding the distances right. between places and the topography that goes with it. Um, there is so, something about uh, hearing a paper on, for example, Snorri Sturluson in his house. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting, it which is where we are today. So that's right. Uh, but so you uh, you've been to several places. Is there any place that sticks out for you so far in terms of um, the travels before the conference? All of it, I would say. All <laughs> of, all of it stands out. Uh, you know, because um, so I, I basically did a tour. Um, got here on uh, on a Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, picked up some camping gear. Went uh, in in Reykjavik, and then uh, just started a tour of the southern coast. Uh, first place that was that was really really awesome was the Reiki Dollar Hot Springs and uh, Thermal <laughs> River, where you you know you go for a, a decent hike up into mm-hmm. the uh, into the mountains and then you find yourself at these hot springs that are you know bubbling and boiling. Now, um, unlike the the pool here at Snorstopa, you can just dive right into that one. Yeah? Oh, there's lots of yeah. Well, yeah. not not all of them. Some of them are boiling and your skin would fall off. Well, so you doesn't wanna, mean you can't oh, jump in. <laughs> yes, it well, means you'll regret your decision. It's strongly discouraged. Briefly and painfully. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, but there, yeah, there's a river up there. Right. Um, and uh, it, it's hotter the farther up you go. So they have like a marked mm. off section where mm. you can you can kind of hang out. And it was full of people. Uh, disrobing and and re-robing, <laughs> re-robing. Is yeah, that, is that a, a word? It is disrobing now. and robing. Um, so you have to get and very, robing, I think. Yeah, you got to get very comfortable uh, mm-hmm. with your your companions mm-hmm. uh, when you, when you go up there if you didn't plan properly. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, I got into the river and uh, and and bathed for a little while. It was like a nice little hot tub, and they sure. got they got it all set up with the rock pools, so mm. they like break it up into little sections. Very nice. Yeah, was, I noticed your skin is glowing. Uh, yes, it's all that sulfur. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was that was pretty good. And then mm-hmm. I, I went down to uh, Reynisfjara, yeah. the black sand beach, yeah. and saw the basalt stacks and the cave mm-hmm. and all that. Uh, so good opportunity. Yeah, yeah. slept at Kirkjubeen. Uh, you also you sorry go ahead. I slept at Kirky Bear and, and discovered that uh, Icelandic camping is very different from American camping <laughs> in many ways. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, one in one way, uh, obviously, there. those of you who have camped in America know that most campgrounds, you're going to be kind of tucked into your own private little right. section. Right. You get um, your six by six lot. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's surrounded by bushes mm-hmm. or trees. And uh, you've got your own little campfire that you right. can have and, and, a, and a flat space for your for your tent, mm. but that is not how it works here. <laughs> um, uh, it actually worked out really, really nicely, though. Mm-hmm. You got a nice open field, beautiful scenery. Mm. Um, most of the campgrounds have kitchens, so you don't need a fire because you're right. not allowed to have a fire, you know, with right. the lack of right. wood and <laughs> all that. <laughs> not necessarily ready to uh, engage in the uh, traditional practice of dung burning to keep warm. Right, right. Yeah, we had gotten a camp stove because we didn't really realize about all these kitchens that you can just boil your water at. Right. I've been eating ramen for almost two weeks, people. Mm-mm. That might also explain why your skin is glowing. That's, yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> you get enough uh, sodium in there. And yeah, there's a lot of sodium in here. So, it, like we said, we were in a, in the lobby of a, of a hotel mm-hmm. um, enjoying our beers. So, so the, the brief version here is uh, come camping in Iceland because it's amazing, but mm-hmm. uh, don't bring a stove. Yeah, you don't need a stove. Right. You'll be fine. Right. Plus, it was so windy when we tried to boil the water. It just didn't <laughs> quite... It took forever. Um, so you also, you did kind of a bit of a mini tour of the Njal Saga sites. I did, yeah. I mean, we, we, we went all over the south and we went to um, uh We mm-hmm. went to Skaptafell uh, yep. National Park and looked at some cool waterfalls and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, if you if you want to go hiking and see some really <laughs> cool stuff, Iceland's yeah. the, the place to go. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things people always say about Iceland is it's, it's every step you take, every way you turn is you know a postcard I mean, exactly it's a vista yeah so yeah um the second night we ended up i think staying at uh, cellulan falls we, we were mm-hmm. going to plan to stay in Vik, but um it's it's a small town and mm-hmm. and you just camp in the center of it so we're like let's go up to cellulan falls and <laughs> and uh, camp under a waterfall um and that's that's the that's really the heart of Njal territory right there because yeah. from that that site you can see the little hill that plays so big in, in, in many different scenes of Nell Saga. Some of the rocks are still stained with blood. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a little the little hill that uh, that Flossie and his men mm-hmm. uh, ambush uh, Gunnar from. They climb up there to to see Gunnar <laughs> coming home from from Njal's, uh, um, the the Njalsons hang out up there and, and, and throw spears. Right, right. And all. So I mean, I had to stop and take pictures of it because it, <laughs> you know, I had to go on a you know dirt road. Did you climb up and fling a spear or two? I didn't because I was I was on my way up to Holzbuller. Which I'm not going to say correctly, but uh, um, I had a dream many years ago when we were doing Njal Saga to uh, to visit the uh, the right. Njalurefu, the, the the tapestry center that mm-hmm. they've got there, 
and maybe throw a stitch in myself. Oh, that's very exciting. And, and you did that. I did, yeah. It, it, it wasn't during their regular hours. Right. But, they were kind uh, of to open just for you. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Gunhildur, Christian's daughter, yeah. uh, uh, I contacted her ahead of time and she very, very kindly met me at uh, 9.30 in the morning, opened up and, <laughs> and taught me the stitch and mm. told me a little bit about the, the project. And, yeah, I had a great time there. Did they say, um, I know this is a, for those of you who don't know, this, this is a massive project that's been underway for about five or six years now. Yeah. Uh, to create a, uh, a, a scrolling tapestry of Njal Saga, mm-hmm. uh, modeled somewhat on the Bayou Tapestry and uh, 1066. To some degree, yeah. I think... Um, uh, not they, the only one of its kind, but... No, they, well, they um, they definitely saw the Vatnsdala yeah. tapestry being made, and yeah. they were inspired to, oh, yeah. to do something similar. They thought Njal deserved it more than mm-hmm. Vatnsdala Saga. She didn't <laughs> say that, they? but of course uh, that's true. <laughs> Um, but so, I mean, this is a project that's been underway for five or six years. Yeah. Uh, do they know when it's going to be finished? It's uh, Yeah, I actually asked her. They're not it, that far off. Is it true? Know. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I would get, she said she would expect another year or so. They, they're moving fast because originally this was supposed to be like a 10-year project. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have a, she said they have a nice group of, of, of locals that, mm-hmm. that kind of meet there. Um, their opening hours seem to be when they're free from work and right. they, they all kind of get together and hang out. And I asked, do you listen to music while you guys stitch? And she said, no, 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 it's too loud. We talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a nice uh, community project. Yeah, that, that's uh, great. A lot of the uh, the ladies and a couple mm-hmm. men. She said there's one guy that's, uh, I believe she said he was in his 90s or, or about wow. to be 90. And he's taken it very seriously. Oh, sure. And he, he's contributed quite a, <laughs> quite a lot. So That's very exciting. Mm-hmm. I have tried to get down there, but I haven't had, uh, haven't had an opportunity to do so yet. It's it's really neat to see, the yeah. co- just to see the colors and the, the you know, how it's all done. Yep. Um, and they've got obviously pictures of the whole project up mm-hmm. everywhere. Well, I'm assuming that when this is finished, uh, like the biotechnology, uh, you'll, you'll be able to uh, purchase uh, a uh, full panorama of the completed project. Mm, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, you know. and it's going to be housed there, um, so it'll be a nice attraction for the for right. The of town. course, of course. I asked her while we were sewing, um, "Have you ever stopped to think about?" being a part of something that will last so much longer than yourself, something that will be kind of an important... No, we're too busy chatting. ...an important <laughs> artifact. She, she, she paused for, for a moment very seriously, and then and a little smile came over her face, and she said, I have. <laughs> and of course, you know, this is the idea. You know, this, yeah. um, um, Gunhilde, Christian's daughter, and uh, Christina uh, Benson, um, they both came up with this idea mm-hmm. of, of doing this project, um, and then they recruited the artist, uh, Christian Gunnar's daughter, and uh, and now they're getting close to finishing. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, it's it's amazing to think about that. It's it's one of the ways I think that uh, visiting Iceland is kind of a remarkable experience for people from uh, from the states or even from uh, Great Britain. There's a there's a continuum here mm-hmm. right? uh, in terms of the relationship to the past. I think in a way that um, certainly in the states that we we tend to lack uh, that history is history and now is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so things like a multi-year art project that brings a community together is the kind of thing that happened in the bygone days. Yeah. And we don't tend to think of that as being the sort of thing that you undertake now. Right. Uh, where here, um, you know, this this makes perfect sense, right? This is mm-hmm. sort of, this is the right now way oh, to uh, true. to tell the story. It's Although I don't know if that's true in every town or location in Iceland, just as in America, sure. you, know, you could you could generalize and say that, that what, what you've said is true. I just did. I know you did. <laughs> but I would say if you live in a place like Gettysburg, mm-hmm. or if you live in a place that it ha- is that has that moment. But there I think you're talking about the preservation a of a specific moment in the past, as mm-hmm. opposed to... Uh, what we're talking about with this uh, tapestry, which is a 
right now kind of way of participating in a story that's ongoing, mm-hmm. uh, that is a relationship to a story that doesn't necessarily uh, only exist in the past, but yeah. is still very much the creation of, your of this new artifact is participating right. in the t- retelling of the story in, right. in some ways. Yeah. Um, it, something else that was kind of interesting that she she told me because I was asking, you know, what is the connection to you know as far as the people in the town? Mm-hmm. Um, do they do they think of Nell Saga often? Do they like it? Um, what's the general attitude? Because this is kind of the heart of Nell Saga, right? And uh, she said, "Well, most people don't think of it very much, and uh, but but they have to when when they graduate from high school, mm-hmm. they have to they have like a celebration of Nyal where the students get together and have like to get an annual celebration every year when oh, the students are graduating. They they have to get up early in the morning mm-hmm. and they read Nyal Saga out loud from beginning to end. Wow! And she said the students hate it. <laughs> of course they do. So I, I asked her, and you said, "Well, you're working on this beautiful project. Mm-hmm. You must." You must love Nyal Saga. Did you love Nyal Saga when you were younger at school? And she said, no. No, I learned to love it. Right. You come to it later in life. That's exactly what she said. You come to it later in life. You learn to appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's part of being in a place. You start to appreciate kind of the story of that place as you get older and start to, you know, understand the story a little bit better. Um, so yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. After you finished up uh, on your tour of Nyal Saga, mm-hmm. uh, you made your way up to Snuffle's Nest. That's right. Well, if you, if anyone's played around with uh, Saga databases mm-hmm. or, or looked at uh, the maps where sagas take place, uh, right. Snaffle's Nest is a hot. It's the center, activity, yeah, for a lot know. of things. So many different sagas take place there. Um, so yeah, I wanted to get a, a good sense of that, and I didn't have a lot of time to play around. So we did mostly just to drive around on Route 54, uh-huh. kind of cover the southern coast, and then up around the north, and then right. did some camping. Um, now, a few years ago, uh, last time I was in Iceland, mm-hmm. uh, I made my way up to uh, Helgafell, mm-hmm. uh, and was able to climb up. And there's a whole set of rituals you're supposed to undergo there. Yeah. Um, not uh, looking behind you uh, while you climb from Gudrun Osvastadr's grave up to the top of Helgafell. Um, and you said that things are a little bit different there now. Yeah, things are a little bit different. Yeah, you gotta mm-hmm. you go in a long driveway, and and the driveway takes you all the way up to like a little building that's right at the foot of Helgafell. Right. It's a private property, mm-hmm. um, so a family lives there, um, and they probably got tired of everyone coming <laughs> to their property. Right. People know? people wearing out shoe leather going up and down Helgafell all day. Yeah. So um, this is for anybody who doesn't remember. This is uh, from our discussion of Arabic Saga. You mean uh, Erbikyasaga? Erbikyasaga. Uh, I've had a number of people who have mentioned to me that they don't like my pronunciation of the saga name. Uh, but um, I, I don't mean uh, to interrupt you, but I've I've been investigating this one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was talking to Gunhildr at the, yep. at the Njaldurdefu about it. And I tried to say yep. Erbikyasaga, <laughs> and she had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah. And then we finally worked it out, and she said she pronounced it um, Erbikyasaga. I, she went Ayurbigya. Yeah. Um, so she had a hard G mm-hmm. at the end, um, but she she also doesn't say air. She says Ayur, right? Yeah. Then later, a couple days later, when I was in, mm-hmm. in Reykjavik, I asked the bartender because I was hanging out at mm-hmm. bars. You? <laughs> and uh, I, I was asking him about it, mm-hmm. and he's he pronounced it Ayurbigya with a with more of a K mm-hmm. sound in there. Right. So. Now I'm all confused. Right. So I've decided that I'm just going to stick with my own pronunciation. The one that everyone hates. Uh, the one that everybody hates. But at least I'm an equal opportunity offender. All right. Uh, but from uh, Helga Fell, you can see uh, most of the major landmarks mm-hmm. of Erbigya Saga. That's right. Uh, and it is the it's the holy mountain that opens up, opened up. If you're worthy. Uh, to uh, Right. If you're worthy mm-hmm. to absorb the ancestors of the Thor's Nessing clan. 
Yeah, it didn't open for me. Well, I'm not surprised. Nobody wants you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. You, in order to get up there, now you you pay. Um, I think it was like 400 kroner mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and you walk up a, a designated path. It is not mm-hmm. from from Gudrun's grave. Right. Um, so I had to come. You know, once I was done on top of Helgefell, I came down and said, "Am I allowed to go see Gudrun's grave?" Mm-hmm. And you have to go down a, you know, another path. See, now you worry me because I wonder if um, when I was there, you whether just we just bypassed that accidentally. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize we weren't supposed to be doing that because we went directly from Gudrun's grave. Nobody stopped us, but perhaps they were just being polite. Hmm. That's possible. Uh, I got there very early in the morning. There was nobody else there. Uh, so I don't know if yeah, that's possible. we perhaps uh, circumvented. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look at the tour guides to Iceland, it, mm-hmm. does, it, it describes more of what you're talking about. Where okay, you go to good, good. Gudrun's grave and then you walk up a path from there. But I feel slightly less like an ugly American then. Yeah, they, but uh, they definitely don't want you to do that anymore. Right. So listeners, if you're if you're listening, right. <laughs> still uh, follow the rules. Uh, follow the rules. <laughs> go to the house, pay the 400 kroner, and then walk up the right and way. Pay your respects to the Thorsen clan. Yeah, but it was really nice to be there. And you know, for the next day, I, I kind of built this into the the trip. Was mm-hmm. I just wanted to see that that landscape and the yeah. uh, the north of Snaffelsness is this. I mean, there's a reason that so many sagas are set there. It's, yeah. it's evident right away yeah. because there's lots of great farmland. Um, there's the, the sea is right there with mm-hmm. and it's a much calmer sea. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a real difference between the sea at the southern coast and the, <laughs> the sea at the, the north of Snaffles Nest. Well, and even now there's, you know, there's every every little bay has its own sort of fishing town. Mm-hmm. Uh, so wonderful. Uh, so I think uh, our beers are almost empty and yeah. the conference continues. So I yeah. think we're going to we're going to get moving. But uh, before we go, uh, we this is a minor announcement, but we thought we'd mention it. Uh, as we plan out the next few months of Saga thing, we're uh, looking ahead to, uh, we're going to work on Flow Amana Saga next. Uh, we're actually going to be recording the first part of that uh, here in Iceland. Maybe. Uh, maybe, maybe. Depending on depending on how much time we have and how, should, how busy should we are. Should the mood strike us. That's right. Um, but certainly soon. Uh, we've got one more planned after that, but then we're looking at tackling another one of the uh, another one of the biggies another giant uh, we, we didn't give you a summer saga this summer that's and right for that we deeply apologize i do think we i apologize some, shallowly at best <laughs> yeah but we gave you some good stuff so, that's right and, um, and we i was moving give there you right. go uh so now that we're all settled into our new locations yes. uh we're gonna do another one of the biggies mm-hmm. uh, so we thought we we're gonna throw up another um, poll on our social media accounts yeah. well, and we have to uh, announce our choices for yeah. the next big saga to cover well i think i mentioned on twitter uh the other day when i was in borgenes mm-hmm. ale saga is a, a fun one you want to you want to stick ale saga on and you know i went and i mm-hmm. i saw the i saw scott the grim's uh, mm-hmm. grave mound yep. which nobody can tell me if there's anything in nobody's there nobody's sure I almost suspect that maybe there's nothing Still in there. Still a memorial. But who knows? Uh, but so, so Ale Saga. Ale Saga would uh, be a good one, one of our options. Uh, Lockstala Saga. Have to throw that in. Have to put that one on there. the giants. Uh, and then I think Faringa Saga, uh, also a significant saga, a substantial yeah. saga. Yeah. Uh, so I think one of those three is going to be our next kind of big project. So someone is listening to this on the Faroe Islands and saying, finally, <laughs> my chance yes. has come. Uh, right. The, yeah, this is the this is one of the sagas that kind of moves us uh, outside of Iceland for a fair amount of the action. Yeah. But the uh, the probably the rest of the listeners are thinking Ale Saga or Lockstala Saga. Depends on how many Gudrun fans we have. That's true. Given yeah. that we've just been talking about walking from Gudrun's grave. That's um, right. Yeah. That's a that that this is also a very important saga. Uh, so uh, look for that in the next few days after this goes up, and uh, I imagine we'll have voting open for about a month. Yeah, something uh, like that. And people can decide what until they want to Until the right hear about. one is until the right one is right. in the lead. 
<laughs> right, we'll announce the voting closing in five minutes. Yeah. We like the current standings. That's right. Um, but assuming that we decide to play fair, uh, we'll announce when the polling will close. That's right. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Andy, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? No. Say, uh, let's go have some more good times. Yeah, let's go back to the conference. All right. All well, right. thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been John. This is Andy over here. Hey there, everybody. <laughs> Bye for now. The eastern route they had taken had come to a dead end. With three days' walk back to the fork to find Arne Saknussem's original route, they found their water rations were limited to one day. Knowing their only chance of finding water was on that route, they set off for the fork, and there, finally, they fell, almost lifeless, on the third day. After sleep, they continued down the other tunnel in their quest for water, and whilst searching on his own, Hans the guide heard the sound of water thundering behind a granite wall and with a pickaxe, attacked the wall so as to allow a stream of boiling water to enter and cool in their tunnel. Not only had they found life in the water, but they'd also found a flowing guide to the center of the earth. They called the stream the Hansbach. I'm sorry, I'm being distracted by the uh, the nude guy who keeps popping up over that fence.